Made for Mondays, Finding God in the Ordinary. Today, we are wrapping up our six-week series in the book of Ruth. And I want to talk to those of you today who might be disappointed in your season of life. It might seem like an odd thing. We're having a celebration, so why talk about disappointment? But sometimes our expectations and our reality don't mesh. And I was once told by a pastor that I worked under that the, the gap in between expectations and reality is kind of stress or discomfort. And the larger the gap is, the more stress that you're carrying. And for many of you, it's not that you don't believe in God. I know you do. But right now, you might not be seeing his goodness in your life. Or you just heard the story of Marissa, who was healed, and you're thinking, well, I've been praying for years. Why haven't my prayers been answered? Or for some of you, you hope that this is the season you'd be financially strong, that you could be a blessing to a lot of people, but you just don't know how you're going to make it through to next month. Or your house is up for refinancing, and you're thinking, man, I bought it at a good price, but what are we going to do next month? You thought you'd be somewhere else and you're not. And for some of you, you dreamed of having a God-honoring marriage, but your dream got put on hold. Or worse yet, for some of you, marriage might have turned into a nightmare. Some of you thought by this time in your life, you'd be happy and content and have a great ministry full of joy, and instead you feel lonely, anxious, and depressed. So if you're hurting, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're trying to find the faith to hope for something better, I want to start by saying that I'm sincerely sorry for where you're at right now. Like, I'm so sorry. My heart breaks for you because I get it. I've been there. And there are even times that I'll be up at the front of the church preaching with all the faith that I've got, but I'm struggling. So my heart hurts. So I'm praying that God would speak directly to you today and that he would give you hope, that he would build your faith as we dive into the final chapter of the book of Ruth. So if you're just joining us, welcome. I'm going to give you a quick recap on where we're at so far. The whole book is only four chapters. But what I want to do is I want to give you some backstory, then I'm going to give you the title of today's message, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. And we're going to trust that God is going to do what only God can do. So let's look back. So chapter one, Ruth hits rock bottom. Okay, so she and Naomi both lost their husbands. They were widowed. They had no job. They had no means of financial support. They had no provision, and they really had no hope. So we could say that in chapter one, that there was heartbreak, there was loss, and there was pain. And then she makes a decision. And do you remember the decision that Ruth makes? She decides to leave the sinfulness of her past and the place that she was in, in Moab, and pursue the one true God of Israel and move with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. And she went back to Bethlehem to pursue God. And in chapter 2, we see that she worked, she waited, and she served. So instead of selling her body like many women would have been forced to do, she went and she gleaned in the fields, and she worked in the fields of a guy named Boaz, and she was faithfully serving God, and she was waiting on God to provide. So Boaz takes notice of her, takes her out to lunch. It looks like they have sparks flying. She gets excited. She's thinking, maybe this guy is my guardian redeemer, which is someone from the family who steps in to protect her, provide for her, care for her. So maybe this guy's it. He's an honorable man. He's a wealthy man, a man of standing. But then as things went on, she got ghosted. 
and she was just left in silence, and he just overlooked her. So in chapter 3, we see she does a few things. She initiates, she surrenders, and she trusts. So she put herself in the path of this guy, Boaz, and very much in the path. In fact, she puts herself at the foot of this guy's bed while he's sleeping one night. Now, this isn't something that I often say to do in marital counseling or premarital counseling, so this, this isn't prescriptive, it's simply descriptive. There's a lot of cultural things going on here, but anyways, she was available and she trusted God with this plan. And then in this week's message, we're going to discover that Boaz actually redeems her, and he marries her, and God blesses them, and together they have a son called Obed, which means servant of God. And in chapter 4, we see God's goodness. When she's redeemed by a man of God, she's restored by the blessings of God, and all the community starts rejoicing and celebrating the goodness of God in their lives. But I want you to notice something in all of this. It's that it's a journey from chapter 1 to 2 to 3 to 4. It doesn't just happen lickety-split. It's a journey that she goes through, and it takes time. So I want to talk to those of you who might be feeling like you're in chapter 1, like heartbreak, loss, and pain. That just resonates with where you're at. I want to talk to those of you who are in chapter 2 and 3 feeling like you're stuck. I want you to hear me when I tell you that, that God loves you. He cares about you. He's with you. And I think sometimes even more than just hearing that, we need to be reminded that God likes you. Like, I don't know if your spouses tell you, like, I sure love you, but I don't really like you right now. Like, or is that just me? <laughs> but God, He likes us. He cares for us. So some of you, if you're in the in-between, you're waiting, you're in chapter two, be faithful to God. Keep trusting God in chapter 3. And my prayer for you is that in chapter 4, that you will discover, and here comes my title, I pray that you discover that God's plans for you are better than you can imagine. Because He's good, He's faithful, and His Word is true. So God, today we pray for those who might be disappointed in their current chapter. I pray that we would all find you experience you, know you, and be changed by you. We pray this in the name of your risen Son. And everybody said, amen. So let's pick up where we left off last week. I'm going to put a QR code on the screen. If uh, you have your phones with you, there's Bibles in front of you. Uh, but if you want to do it on your phone, simply scan that. It will take you to Ruth chapter 4 in the NLT translation that I'll be reading from today. But as you flip there, do you remember Boaz wanted to redeem Ruth? But there was another relative who was kind of in the way. And the author of this book actually calls him Mr. No-Name. So the Hebrew is actually, it, it, it's translated a muted name or John Doe, meaning we're not going to give this guy a title. He doesn't deserve it. So Boaz goes and meets with Mr. No Name and basically shrewdly works this plan and makes a deal so that he can marry Ruth, provide for her, protect her, bless her as the guardian redeemer. And he does this at the city gate, the place of business. And the elders there pray this prayer of blessing. They pray this, may the Lord make Ruth like the women from whom the whole nation of Israel descended. May you prosper and be famous in Bethlehem. Like, this is pretty amazing. 
make Ruth, a Moabite woman, to, to be like the other women that all of Israel descended from, and may she be famous in Bethlehem. And I don't know about you, but there's a guy that I know from Bethlehem fairly well who's pretty famous, and his name is Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem. But what's amazing is that the elders pray this one prayer of faith, and suddenly we see that one prayer resulted in changed life, a changed family, and ultimately a changed legacy that would impact us to this day. One prayer. So please don't underestimate what God can do through the power of responding to one prayer. So some of you might be stuck and you might be one prayer away from the blessing that God wants to bring into your life. And so we actually see the answer to this prayer in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. The elders prayed this prayer in verses 11 to 12, and then we see just one verse. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. They got married, the two became one flesh. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. The Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. So we see one verse as an answer to one prayer that clearly demonstrates how God can take years of brokenness and turn it into blessing. And when I say years of brokenness, you have to remember that Ruth and Naomi experienced 10 years of misery in Moab. So it's been a minute. It doesn't mean that it happened overnight, that it was one week ago, that it was a month of praying. Sometimes your chapter may last for a little while. But then Ruth makes one decision. She decides to turn from Moab. She turns to the God of Israel. She turns to Bethlehem. And then someone else prays one prayer of faith. And the results are dramatic. It's not just one changed life. It's not just a changed family. But it's a changed legacy that impacts us. And I just think that that is incredible. And how did this come about? Well, it's a phrase in the verse that I don't want you to miss, and that is, the Lord enabled. The Lord enabled. So who enabled? Who brought it all about? The Lord. In fact, there's a phrase in Hebrew that I want to show you, and it's translated, Yahweh way yitten. So you can say that with me, Yahweh way yitten. And this has been translated in different ways. So I'm going to show you four ways it's been translated. In the NIV, it's translated that the Lord enabled. In the ESV, it's translated the Lord gave. CSB, the Lord granted. And the GNT, Good News Translation, the Lord blessed. But no matter how you say it, what I love is it was the Lord who did it. It's not about enabling or blessing or giving. It's about the Lord. And I love that because he is a giving God. He's a granting God. He's an enabling God. He's a blessing God. The Lord enabled. And there might be a different translation in your life right now, a different verb you might use. It might not be the Lord enabled. It might be that the Lord provided for you. The Lord healed. The Lord answered. The Lord restored. For somebody, it might be the Lord opened a door. The Lord proved himself faithful. The Lord made a way when there didn't seem to be a way. It's the Lord who enables. Yahweh way yitin. So whatever you're facing today, here's what I came to tell you. God is able. God is able. Our God is able. 
You have to believe it. God is able. Ephesians 3 says, Now to Him, now to our God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine. That's incredible to me. Not just what we ask, all we can even imagine according to His power that is at work within us. He is able, whatever you need, God can do it. He can do anything beyond what you can imagine. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, because I'm probably thinking the same thing, well, if he can, why didn't he? If he can do it, why hasn't he? If God is able, then why am I sitting here waiting on him to do it? I know my wife has a friend that they've been friends since grade seven, and she's been praying for her since then. And we think, why hasn't God grabbed a hold of her heart yet? And we've had so many cool opportunities, but it just hasn't clicked. But I'm guessing, and I don't know, and I'm guessing that this is something similar that Ruth would have been feeling in chapter 1. So if you remember, her husband died, which wasn't her plan. She turned to God, and she was very loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She's saying, wherever you go, I'll go. What Wherever you live, I'll live. Your God will be my God. And in other words, she's saying, I'm sticking with you. And she's stuck by her mother-in-law's side while her other sister-in-law kind of bounced. She's like, I'm out of here. See ya. She went back to Moab. And so this woman who's broke, what does she do? She goes and works early in the morning till late at night gleaning in the fields. And gleaning is simply some of the crop would fall to the ground and the workers would have to leave it so that people could come behind, widows and people who were poor and didn't have enough could pick up and glean what was left on the ground. So she's working and she's trying to just have enough food to eat to, in order to survive. And she's working her brains out. Her fingers are raw, the dirt under her nails. And she meets a cute guy. And she's thinking, he seems to be interested in me, but then he disappears. And she's thinking, God, where are you? I thought you sent Boaz. I thought you sent this man of God, a man of standing. I thought he was going to be the one to redeem me. And now I'm here waiting. Where are you, God? Why didn't you do what I thought you were going to do? And maybe you're asking that same question. Why didn't you heal the person I love when I prayed? Why didn't you save that marriage? Why didn't you come through in the way that I thought you would come through? Where are you? And so if you're waiting, if you're stuck in chapter 2, stuck in chapter 3, let me remind you that while you are waiting, God is still working. While you're waiting, God is still working. You might not see it, you might not feel it, but He is. And I love what Ruth does when she didn't see anything in this situation. She kept her faith. She didn't let her current situation, her current circumstances, define her view of God. She just kept on trusting. She kept her focus. And why? Because Yahweh way yitin. God is able. Whatever you need, he is able. And she believed it. She trusted that. He has an answer for every problem that you face. And we could say it this way. He has a lifeline for every letter of the alphabet. 
Do you guys remember those little promise books? They were popular, I think, in the 90s. I had a DC Talk one, and it was like promises for um, whatever you're going through. If there was anger, bitterness, worry, anxiety, and it was kind of like a, an alphabet book, and it would give you a verse to go through. Well, I kind of made the same thing here that I want us to go through. We're going to go through A, B, C, D, E, F, all the way through, just for fun, to show you that God is able whatever you need. So starting with A... God answers your prayer. He blesses you abundantly. He comforts you when you're hurting. He delivers you from evil. He empowers you to do his will. Then he forgives all of your sins. He gives you your daily bread. He heals you when you're sick. He illuminates your path. He justifies you by his amazing grace. He keeps you from stumbling. He loves you no matter what. He moves your mountains. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He overcomes your enemies. He provides for all of your needs. He quiets your darkest fears. He restores what you lost. He strengthens you when you're weak. He transforms your life. He understands your pain. He vanquishes your darkness. He works all things for your good. He extends you grace, which you're going to have to extend me. This is the best I could do. (laughs) Kind of starts with the sound of X. He yearns for all of your heart, and he zealously pursues you. God is able. Like, I just love going through that and and coming up with these creative ways how God shows up in our life time and time again. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all you can ask, think, or even imagine. So whatever you think God can do, it's nothing. He can do even more. And we see God show his ableness to Ruth in chapter 4, verse 14. We see the answer and the provision of God. It says, Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. So why are they praising God? Well, it wasn't for Boaz's financial success. It wasn't for promotion They didn't get their dream vacation. It was that God was providing a family legacy that was going to change the world. He gave them life. All life comes from God. Life and life to the full. Life is a gift. And we see them praising God that he provided for them. He's giving them this fresh life, this new life, a restart. And they say, may this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Ruth has been better to you than seven sons. And it's important to note that they're celebrating God's blessings to Naomi. Just like we're celebrating six years here as a church, we're not celebrating anyone's actions. We're celebrating what God is doing in and through this community. That's what we're thankful for. But you see, for Naomi and Ruth, this wasn't anywhere close to their plan. They never planned to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab, but her husband took her there. Naomi never planned for her husband to die and leave her to be destitute. That wasn't her plan. That wasn't anywhere close to her plan. But you see, God had a better plan. And this baby, Obed, which means servant of God, and Ruth, together, they were better than seven sons. Can you say it with me? Just say, they were better. They were better. 
Some of you right now, you're in a place that you did not plan. And you may be disappointed where you are. But I want to remind you of the goodness of God, that he is able and his plan is always better. God's plan is better. Actually, just politely touch the person on one side and just say, God's plan is better. Now touch the person on the other side who you didn't choose the first time. Say, God's plan's better for you too. <laughs> and let me give you a little example. I've shared many different stories throughout my life with you, and a lot of my plans didn't go according to plan. But one, as I was working on this message that came to mind, was when I was applying for my first youth ministry position. Because you see, a lot of the time, I set out, and I'm like, okay, this is my plan, this is my plan, and God kind of comes along, and it's like, you didn't really think this, did you? I'm like, I did. I was going to be an accountant. Nope. I was going to live forever in Hamilton. Nope. Well, then when I moved out to BC, I was going to live forever in BC. Nope. I was going to finish school before having kids. Nope. I was never going to church plant. (laughs) No. So one that jumps out to me, though, is I was getting close to completing schooling. And I was about to marry Amanda in June. This is about January. And I thought, it's probably a good time to get a job. If I'm going to be married and providing for a family, I need to have some stuff together. So I started applying, meeting with different churches. And there was one church in North Vancouver that invited us to come out for the weekend. And they said, come meet some of our families. We'll drive you around, show you where everyone has their private golf memberships. And it was just gorgeous. It was, it was a dream. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, but the problem was they wanted me for 20 hours a week. They wanted Amanda for 10 hours a week. And that was it. And I'm like, okay, well, Amanda's still in school. She's not done. Together, that doesn't even equal a full-time job. And what am I going to do with the other 20 hours? And they're like, well, maybe I do have some business accounting experience. So they're like, maybe you can use that downtown Vancouver. And I'm like, okay. And Amanda and I honestly thought this was a good thing. We're like, let's make it work. Even though we're an hour away from your school, we'll, we'll do it. Because it was the only thing that was on the table. So we thought this was God's way of providing. So let's just roll up our sleeves and do it. And it was the night before we had to give a response to this church. My father-in-law called us and he said, I know you're excited to get married. I know you're excited to start working and start a life together. But I don't think this is where you should be. I'm like, yeah, I get that. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I really don't think this is where you should be. I would wait. And he has 20 years of ministry experience. And he said, in my experience, God usually comes along and just throws a curveball at the last minute. And where you think you're going to be isn't usually where you end up. And the night before I had to give this answer, I received a call from another pastor in White Rock who said, hey, I'd love to meet with you. And I said, your position's only part-time. And he's like, we've actually just moved it to full-time. So I called the other church the next day. It was Good Friday in April. And I said, I can't take the job. I wasn't sure I was going to get this other one yet, but I just knew I couldn't take the job. And about two weeks before my wedding, White Rock finally had their vote, and they voted me in as their full-time youth pastor. And for the next five years, I had an incredible experience there. It was so great. And it just reminds me that God's plan is always better. God's plan is always better. 
even though I looked up this pastor online and I thought he was in an orange prison jumpsuit and thought, I don't know if this is where I should be. (laughs) Amanda had the sense before I did that this is where we need to be. Sadly enough, the other church that was looking for this uh, spread out position hired one of my classmates and a year later was burned out and left the church and left ministry altogether. And they called me up and they said, hey, we've made ours full-time now. Want to come back? I said, absolutely not. (laughs) God's plan wasn't my plan, but it was so much better. And I want you to hear this, that God is able and his plan for you is better. And so when you don't get the job that you want, when you're stuck in chapter 2, when you're wondering what's going on in chapter 3, just know that God has something better for you. When you wanted to marry that person and you don't get to marry that person, tell yourself, God's got somebody better for you. God's coming for you. There are some of you right now, you had different plans, maybe even for your weekend. (laughs) But I believe that you are here right now because God wants to say something to you that he is able and his plan is better. So we see the story progress, and it's about to get really powerful. In verse 17, we see the neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, servant of God, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. And why does that matter? Well, at the end of Ruth, it goes into a kind of lineage, who came next and who came next and who came next. And one of the major themes in the book of Ruth is the theme of providence, the providence of God. And what's that? It's when God uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. In the book of Ruth, you don't see these physical miracles. There's no parting of the Red Sea, no one walking on water, no raising of the dead. But what you do see is the miraculous providence of God when he uses natural circumstances, working in the field, owning a business, meeting at the city gate, You see him using natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. And last week, we talked about the providence of God, and we said it's a lot like Hebrew. For those of you who read English, which is all of us, we read from left to right. But in Hebrew, you actually read backwards. You read from right to left. And we say the providence of God is a lot like reading Hebrew. It's best viewed backwards. So let me show you, who are we as Christians? We're followers of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about our lives is about Jesus. We seek him first. He's Lord, he's Savior, he's Redeemer, he's our King. He's our righteousness. He's the door that which we enter. He's the good shepherd. He's the living vine. And as we look at the lineage we looked at last week, we see Jesus And then we read backwards. He was born to Mary and Joseph. And I'm not going to go through all these names because they're hard to read. And I think I did a decent job last week. But we see the lineage of God working through history. And we read it backwards just like Hebrew. And we see the providence of God. Because then it eventually gets to the names that we just read in the book of Ruth. Solomon, David, Jesse, and Obed. Who was born to Ruth and Boaz. So let's go back to who Ruth was in chapter one. Do you remember who she is? She's a Moabite woman. And Moabites were known for worshiping this false god, this demon god. They would sacrifice babies to this false god. 
And she came from a people that were not the people of God. They were far from God. And this sinful Moabite woman turned to the God of Israel, and he redeemed her, and he restored her, and she left Moab and went to Bethlehem. And it resulted in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want you to stop for a moment and think about this. When she married Boaz, this was her second marriage. Her first husband died. This wasn't her plan. So if you find yourself in plan B right now, just remember God's plan is better. If you wake up somewhere in life and you didn't want to be there and you're disappointed and you're hurting and you're waiting, remember that while you're waiting, God is still working. God has something better. And I want to show you something. I want to show you the progression of Ruth's identity. And we might call it like a little Easter egg. It's a treasure that's buried right here in the text. But what we see when we read through the book of Ruth is that Ruth's identity is strengthened by the presence of a loving God. Because we're going to watch as the way she sees herself changes as she gets to know God better. So early on, she says this. She says it for herself. She sees herself a nukria. I can't say that. I'm probably butchering nukria. I am a foreigner. That's how, she re- that's how she refers to herself. Like, I don't belong here. And then in chapter 2, she sees herself as a shifa in Hebrew. And that she says to Boaz, she says, I'm lower than your servants. Like, I'm not even worthy to be one of your servants. I'm lower than that. But then in chapter 3, there's another shift, and she sees herself a step up. I am an ama. I am your servant. And then in chapter 4, this is what I love. She's an isha. I am your wife. And there's this continual progression that as she gets to know the goodness of God, her identity starts to change. And I know sometimes people ask, why do we need another church in Binbrook? Well, it's because there's different strokes for different folks. There's places that we're going to reach people, Mountainside's going to reach people, Case United's going to reach people, Christ Church of Woodburn's going to reach people. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to reach people and bring them into the presence of God so that their identity can be changed and transformed as they grow closer to Jesus Christ. And some of you right now, spiritually, you might feel like a foreigner, not even good enough to be a servant, so low in the places and things of God, but as you get to know God, He will change how you see yourself, and you will become exactly who He calls you to be. He helps you reach your God-given potential in Jesus Christ. And in the book of Ruth, which is in the Old Testament, the gospel, which is more from the New Testament, it's all over this book. Who's Ruth? She's a foreigner. She's a stranger. She's lost, broken, in Moab. She leaves Moab, pursues the one true God in Bethlehem, and she feels lower than a servant. She's not worthy, yet Boaz loves her. He redeems her. He restores her. He saves her, not as a slave, not as a servant, but as his wife, as a family member. And that's why I'm here to tell somebody that if you are in Christ, this is your story. If you've been born again, you've been made new by the grace of Jesus. This is your story. Because one time in your life, you were far from God. You were hurting and broken and hopeless. But God had something better for you. Better than you could ever imagine. 
And God sent his one and only son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who is without sin, who shed his blood and died again, so that anyone who died and rose again, so that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus would be saved. And we see this same story in the New Testament, in the letter to Ephesus, to the Ephesians, when Paul told us the same story in the New Testament and said, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And scripture says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's own family. You're an Isha. You're a wife, the bride of Christ. You're an ambassador of the most high God. You're the light of the world. You're a child of the living God, a joint heir in the kingdom, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who you are. So when you know him, you're not stuck in Moab anymore. You find the blessings of God in Bethlehem. So again, if you're stuck in the in-between today, stay faithful to God. Keep pursuing him. Because Yahweh Wei Yin, our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than all you can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within you. While you're waiting, just remember that God's still working. God's plan is better. There is a chapter four. His blessings are real. He's working in all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And one day, you're going to be able to look back, just like reading Hebrew, look back on your life and see God's faithfulness all the way through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We worship you. Thank you for loving us all the way back during the time of Ruth and preparing a Moabite woman to be part of the lineage of your son, Jesus, who would ultimately come to save us. As we're praying today, if you're in a season that isn't where you want to be, you're in a chapter that just might be disappointing, maybe it's someone that you love, someone close to you, if you need prayer today, would you just lift your hand up right now? You're simply just acknowledging, like, please pray for me. Thanks. You're in a chapter that you don't prefer, you didn't choose. There's someone close that you just want to pray for. God, we just come to you now, and I pray on behalf of our church family that you would give them what only you can give, and that is a peace from heaven that in the middle of turmoil and pain and chaos and heartbreak and disappointment, we can thank you, God, because there's a peace from heaven that goes beyond our human ability to understand. So show us, God, through your word and by your presence that you are good, that you are loving, that you are with us, and that you are able. Give us the faith to trust and believe in you. Maybe there's someone here today that you're a little bit like R Ruth, and she was stuck in Moab. Maybe you're not walking intimately with God. You're lost, broken. This isn't a popular word in today's culture, but I'll just say it the way the Bible says it. You're dead in your sin. What does that mean? Well, it just means your heart kind of feels dead or weighed down, 
hopeless. You've done things you know are wrong, and you may feel guilty or even ashamed. But I want you to know that right now, at this moment, you are not here by accident. You had something different planned, but God's plan was better. You're right here right now because God wants you to understand this, that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus through the lineage of a Moabite woman to say to the world that you can have life and life to the full. Jesus, the Son of God, perfect in every way, died for the forgiveness of all of our sins, and God raised him from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave so that anyone including you, including me. Doesn't matter what you've done, how alone you feel, how away, how far away from God you might feel. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, he will hear your prayers and make you new. So if there's someone here this morning just feeling like I need this, I just invite you to accept him today. We're not just praying a prayer, we're devoting our life to Jesus. So if you're ready to step out of Moab, if you're ready to leave the old life behind, you wanna be a follower of Jesus, you want him to be first and you want new life, invite him into your heart. He'll make you brand new. He'll fill you with his spirit, a new spirit, and you will never be the same. You're not a foreigner, you're a family member, you're a child of God. If that's your prayer today, would you just simply raise your hand so I can pray with you? Let's all pray this prayer together because nobody prays alone. You can say it in the quietness of your heart, softly on your lips, or even out loud, but Heavenly Father, forgive my sins. Save me. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for loving me, for forgiving me, for making me new. My life is not my own. I give it all to you. Thank you for this new life. You have all of mine. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.